what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello, welcome to... Hold on. Candle Films. <laughs> I'm Alan. And over here is Chris. And if you guys excuse me, we just got out of a screening of a movie that we're going to talk about in a minute called Chef. And I didn't have any food beforehand. Oh, man. And it made me very, very hungry. So... I'm not quite eating the gourmet food that we saw in the film. Uh, it's just McDonald's french fries right now. But the idea is I, I needed to eat after seeing that film. But as I said, I am Alan. This is Chris. We're here to talk about some films and movies. Chris, how are you doing? I'm, are you, I'm doing good. And fortunately, I did eat. Before I was going to say, because you, you don't seem hungry at all right now. No. But I'm starving. So I'm going to snack a little bit while we get set up for our show today which will be reviews of, like I just said, the film Chef, starring John Favreau and a whole slew of Hollywood uh, big hitters. Then we're also going to follow that up with a review of the documentary about Roger Ebert's life called Life Itself. We'll move on to some movie news, some, some headlines we want to gossip about a little bit, and then finish up the show with our recommendations of films we think you ought to check out, either ones that we just uh, have enjoyed in the past or maybe even more recently that we think are worth checking out if you have not before. This is Foot Candle Films, which is part of the Foot Candle Film Society here in Western North Carolina, where we put together some interesting film screenings for the local community, and then we get together on this podcast to talk about those films along with many, many others. Uh, this is also part of the Mesh.TV network, so what you're listening to is part of the Mesh.TV. We encourage you to go check us out online at the Mesh.TV. You can listen to all of our back episodes, our library, as you will, Chris. Uh, our our whole our whole repertoire of yes. past episodes from the past several years. I believe we have like sixty eight past episodes. You're, no way. Yes. It, so this is episode sixty nine, almost to seventy. I mean, so. it, it doesn't seem like we've done more than sixty two. You know, so <laughs> I, I don't know if that's correct or not. But anyway, we do want you to go check us out on TheMesh.tv, along with all the other shows on the podcast network. So with all that set up out of the way, Chris. Let's go ahead and get into our first review, which, as we play the trailer, give me another few seconds to eat some more of these dis- delicious McDonald's french fries. And you didn't get an apple pie for me to try. Oh, no, I didn't. I'm sorry about that. As we get into our first review of John Favreau's Chef. We're being reviewed by the most important critic in the city. Now suddenly you're going to be an artist. Well, be an artist on your own time. It's my restaurant. The kitchen is my domain. That was our deal. The deal has now changed. Either you stay or you go. Do you threaten to fire me now? No, I'm telling you what I'm prepared to do if you don't cook my menu. You're never going to be happy cooking for someone else. So what are you going to do? You're going to laugh. Tony, Carl's got a taco truck. For real? (laughs) I get to touch people's lives with what I do, and I love it. Director and writer John Favreau. Mm-hmm. He gave us Swingers back in I don't know that was a while ago. I, might I think sure. it was like uh, mid nineties. Okay, I'll maybe yeah. So he did that, and then after that, he kind of I think he did Made as well, and then mm-hmm. he kind of disappeared in as far as like the directing writing. If I can just interrupt, he wrote Swingers and starred in Swingers. He did, did not direct, direct it. it. Okay. No, mm. that's, that's but a good distinction. pretty close. Yeah, he did direct Made in Zathura, which was okay. a. Uh, Kind of like a Jumanji light yeah, uh, version. Yes, that's over. correct. Okay. So then he was director of the first two Iron Men, and he was actually in all three Iron Men as playing like the side. Happy Hogan. Yeah, mm-hmm. okay. Happy yes. Hogan. Love that name. <laughs> uh, so now. I'm letting my geek flag fly hey, once again. That's all right. So now he's returned to directing and writing with a comedy, Chef. And as you may gather from the title and what Alan's little intro there, it's about a chef who works at a really fancy restaurant, mm-hmm. but then he runs up against the man. Yes. Played in this this movie by uh, Dustin Hoffman. Well, as one of the man, and then you have another man played by Oliver Platt, who's That's also, true. you know, That's true. The movie several people the, forcing him down. Right. The yeah. reviewer, the, the restaurant reviewer. So he kind of runs into some problems, and then he 
walks off. And he says, you know, forget this. I'm going to start a new direction. And he ends up running a food truck. A food truck. Which, yeah. you know, that's an interesting direction for a gourmet chef mm -hmm. to then turn us from doing this. So, Alan, you've had a break from Mr. Favreau as a director-writer um, and actor as well as far as, you know, him doing a comedy. Right. And he hasn't been center focus. He returns, and he is the central chef character. Yes. Do you feel like him returning as a central figure in a movie, writing and directing it, do you think he warrants that, or do you think he should have let somebody else do Do you think he's okay wearing all three hats, a chef's hat in this movie, all three hats, four hats with chef's hat? Do you think he's okay with it, or do you think he should have maybe delegated some responsibilities? Um, I am okay with the, what he did with this film okay. in all of his parts. I make no mistake about it. Chef is predictable. Okay. Cliche ridden. Not a lot of depth to it. Pretty on the nose with a lot of scenes. <laughs> wow. But I will say, damn you, Mr. Favreau. <laughs> you made it work. I enjoyed this film. Yes, I knew exactly where it was going to go. But darn it, it was a fun film. I really, I did have a good time with this. Okay. Uh, I do have some misgivings, which we can talk about in a moment. But I will say in general... I had a smile on my face a good part of the film. I laughed at the right places. And yeah, it worked. I mean, it was it was a fun movie. And I will say that it's nice to kind of have a light film that didn't try to take itself too seriously. Didn't try to throw any major dramatic curveballs your way. It kept it at a very light, high level. And I thought that really worked. Um, it's filled with tons of, like, you could say cameos, because I mean, some of the parts are really one scene from some big actors, big actresses. Sometimes they felt a little forced, almost like, hey, I want to get my buddies in here and I'm going to get them apart. But, you know, overall, I was okay with it because it just seemed like everybody was having a fun time making this film. Okay. So even though I've got some misgivings, we can go into those in a little bit, some little quibbles I want to point out, some things I don't think worked as well. I'm going to say overall, though, I had a really good time with this film. How about you? I, you know, it's a comedy. You know, sensibly, it's a comedy. So did it make me laugh? Yes. And did I laugh enough? Yes. And I appreciate that some of the humor, too, wasn't your, I guess, slapstick-type humor. It was a little little higher level, maybe, you know. Um, so that, that appealed to me that it wasn't just um, the movie we reviewed recently, A Million Ways to Die in the West. Um, yes, that's basically both of our responses to that movie. Mm -hmm. uh, um, I mean, it had some funny moments, but they just, it just irritated me overall. The com that type of comedy was not my bag, so to speak. Well, this type of comedy is much more along the lines of... Well, you know, but even if it's not your bag necessarily... Sure. I think with comedy, you, you have to kind of make a conscious decision of which direction you're going to go with the style of humor. Agreed. Are you going to go the Zemeckis Brothers, airplane, top secret, naked gun route where it's slapstick, it's over-the-top humor, it's, you know, a lot of self-referential humor? Right. Or are you going to go the more natural humor route? Right. Which is what Chef was. Chef right. was natural humor. It's guys ribbing on each other. It's it's funny situations reacting to those situations. It was a natural humor film, and I think it worked really well I'd, for that. Uh, I would agree. I think for also and a big important part of this movie for me was the fact that how the food looked. Mm -hmm. And also the preparation steps they took in making it. To me, it just seemed very believable yeah, oh yeah. to the part where I was wondering, I still am actually how much cooking John Favreau has ever done in his life. Yeah. And you know, if he didn't do a lot, he doesn't do a lot of cooking ever, then that makes maybe that much more impressive to me. But even the amount of research to walk into a cooking store at one point and he's like making decisions about things to get, mm -hmm. it just seems very natural. Yes. Now, granted, to somebody, I don't own a restaurant, but mm. but it just seems I don't know. It just felt very natural, and then that helped the comedic elements just kind of fall in and just yeah. seem. And I'll say this too: you mentioned some of the the cameos that were there, and I a lot of times I'm very harsh on that because I feel like they're forced. Yeah. Um, and I didn't feel like you know you do have Dustin Hoffman, you do have Robert Downey Jr., um, Oliver Platt, you know and Scarlett Johansson, uh, Scarlett Johansson, yeah, and. Uh, I just never felt like they were forced. Now, granted, okay. uh, one of the his assistants or his um, he's the lead chef, and the other guys I don't know all these terms. Sous chef. You got a sous chef, and then you got a uh, something else. Yeah, I think I think a line cook. But line, then, yeah, uh, and the line cook was played by 
John Leguizamo. John Leguizamo. He got promoted to sous chef okay. later on. But Bobby Carnaval yes. was the one who did get promoted to sous chef right. pretty and quickly. He, he was an example of somebody who I really like. I've seen him in the station agent, and he's played like smaller parts. And here mm. I was really excited to see him, and I thought he did a really good job. But then about a third of the way through the movie, he drops off. He's gone. Well, that, that happened but, with I mean, a lot of characters in the film. Scarlett, Scarlett Johansson, Johansson is in the movie until maybe about the one third or one one halfway point, and she's gone. Right. Dustin Hoffman's gone early oh, on. Yeah. Of course, right. his his plot line pretty much er, ends early on. You understand on. why that one, yeah. Um, really, only a couple characters kind of make a callback later on in the film. Um, yeah, no, I, and I don't want to say the, the cameos were forced because I do think they were fun. I think I, most I all liked, of them worked. Yeah, I think um, it's just, you know, it's Robert Downey Jr. playing Robert Downey Jr. exaggerated caricature, but it was a fun scene and I'm glad that it didn't go so. on too long. It was yeah. really like a six minute scene and right. that's it. It's done. Right. Dustin Hoffman played a very believable I don't even say a villain. I mean, he, he was the antagonist mm-hmm. in the early in the film, but it was a very natural relationship he had as the owner of the restaurant with John Favreau's chef. Right. Um, you know, I think they did a pretty good job of not painting somebody as a caricature in any sense. Robert Downey Jr. probably got the most caricaturish role, but again, his was very brief, a good little comedic bit in the middle of the film. And, oh. then, and then it was done. He, so. he is playing the ex husband, to John Favreau's ex-wife. Ex-wife. Yes. So it's like, so, but you know, they could have stereotypically done him one way, but he ends up helping out John Favreau. Oh yeah, which sure. Is, you know, kind of an interesting, yeah. you know, nice thing to do. You know, there again, I, I'm willing to give this film a lot of passes because I did have such a good time watching it. It was funny. The music was good. I thought I agree with you. The cinematography and the the way that the cooking scenes were all done, mm-hmm. and the way they weaved in a very realistic approach to running a restaurant, being a chef, kind of those passions. I thought were all really well done. A few little quibbles, again, some points, you know, uh, some things I, I didn't okay. think worked as well. Okay. Um, I thought some plot points were very contrived, I think. Such as? Such as having the John Leguizamo character just miraculously show up exactly at the right time and spot by taxi. Okay. Which okay, was me- kind of a forced plot they needed him to get there all but the way they, across the country but they addressed it they, they did but it was a it, it sounded one like thing something if they just didn't address it he actually said wow you must have gotten right off the phone and hopped on yeah. a plane. like they at least bothered to address that i think that was more I, a matter of well we have to throw in a line to explain how we just got to here across country they, they so. bothered to yeah I, that's better than some films do right. i will give it that much i thought the ending which we're not going to explain the ending but i thought the ending was a little too pat, a little too buttoned up. It gives you the little six months later thing, which I'm never a huge fan of in films. And I thought this one was almost too cliche perfect. I, um, I will I will concede that, that I think, okay. yeah, that was a, a little, little too much. I would have been okay with a little more ambiguous ending. Not that I wanted it to be a cliffhanger or a downer ending. I just, you kind of had a sense towards the end of the film where things were going to go. Mm-hmm. And you felt good about it. I don't think we needed that six months later coda to show just how perfect things were now all of a sudden. You know? Sure. I, I would agree. It's kind of like <laughs> they're going to be a family film with F-bombs. Like, you know, right. Like the way they tied it up, it was just like it wasn't just a comedy at that point. It's like we're going to make it a family film that happens to have a lot of F-bombs. Yeah. You know? um, that's my only misgivings of it. I thought otherwise – it was really good. There were a few places where I thought the editing was a little choppy in scenes. It just kind of abruptly ended a scene and went to a very diverse scene, like kind of abruptly. And hmm. if it was a conscious decision, I think it was an interesting one. I kind of feel like it was more, I feel like there was a lot longer scenes and a lot longer subplots. But when they realized their film was already at an hour, 50 minutes, they kind of had to get some stuff cut down. Hmm. So I felt like some subplots, didn't have as much room to breathe, but I felt like that was more just, we got to get this down under two hours. You know, well, it's a comedy. It can't be over two hours long. Right. I, I, I didn't really notice any of the choppiness. I did notice some subplots drop off, but it didn't really bother me. Yeah. And yeah, for a comedy to almost be two hours, I didn't feel it. I felt like yeah. it was, it, was it moved pretty, pretty brisk. brisk. Yeah. I'll say that the only negative that I have on the film, you mentioned, well, I had two, one was the whole, uh, neat tied up in a bow mm. at the end. Um, but other than that, I think social media was a little bit overdone. Um, it's important to the storyline, but at some point they could have kind of let it. It's important 
the story it's important to the storyline because it helps him become popular mm-hmm. and helps his business take off. Well, okay, fine. But then once it was doing okay, I think they could have let it drop, but they kept kind of hitting it a little heavy to the point where I think Twitter should have been paid for a promotional consideration. Well, they no. should have paid Twitter should have paid them. I do like the way they incorporated social media into the discussion, and I think it actually did more than just. Uh, give the film the, the show the how they utilize that for marketing. I think it was the connection between the father, father and, the and the son. son. It's it true. was something to bond on where I do agree. I, I don't agree with you that it was overused social media. What I do agree though is on Twitter, the visual um, motif that they did whenever somebody was posting yes. a Twitter post was cute the first time. But then they use it about four or five more times in the film and it just got a little overdone it's, that I do agree with you on that. But I thought the concept of social media, even vine videos and these one second videos his son's taking throughout the film. I thought all that worked together really well. It was just the little, every time you saw a line of people waiting for the, the food car, the food truck and everybody's doing the little Twitter thing and everybody's got the thing over their head. That's a little much. It just got a little redundant after a while. I, I would agree. For such um, a good naturalistic film to throw in this little special effect type of thing just yeah. seemed a little, seemed a little odd. I thought, yeah, I'll say um, I'm going to throw out a positive that we have not touched on that I want to touch on because for me it was it's pretty pivotal in the film. His son, whose character name was Percy, but it's played by M.J. Anthony. I thought he was really good. I agree. And in a movie where you're doing father-son dynamics, especially for a younger son, mm-hmm. um, I think we can look at like Phantom Menace, and you can see how sometimes that can derail a movie, <laughs> having a young actor try to play mm-hmm. a pretty pivotal role. Mm-hmm. And in this movie, he's, he's good, and he's, but he's, he doesn't overdo it. Oh, yeah. He's not trying to like overact or anything. He just There again, it goes back to being very natural. And I thought he did a really good Well, I completely job. agree. And you and I both being the fathers of son, of boys similar in age yeah. to the character in the film, I can attest to the fact that it was a very realistic portrayal of a kid that age, especially one who's so into social media and mm-hmm. technology, right. which is very much the case with a lot of kids that age. No, it was a great performance by that young actor. I'd be, I'd be curious to see if he actually is developing as an actor or sure. if this was just one of those... He just happened to be somebody that the crew knew and did a, did a one-off job on it or not. So right. it'd be fun to see. Yeah, overall, I, I had a great time with the film. I thought it was a lot of fun. I've seen it twice now, so I can attest to that. It's still fun even on a second viewing. A couple little uh, misgivings, I think, that could have been tidied up with the story and the ending and some other things I thought were a little too contrived. But, you know, when you have a good time with a film and you laugh and you enjoy the characters and you want to spend more time with them – you give a, a pass to that film on any of the little more minor issues it may have, you know? So to round it out, one of the things we're trying to do now is give it a letterbox score. Yeah. So from one to five stars, Alan, what would you um, give? Chef? Man, I'm, I may be batting this one close to a four, you okay. know, cause I had a good time with it. Um, four to me is a good, solid, fun, enjoyable film. Okay. So I'm going to give it a four. Okay. I, I think I'd rate it. I don't know if I can go four, but definitely three and a half. Yeah, so. I was debating four to three and a half, but I, I'm after a second viewing. I, I, the one thing going back to your initial question of how did John Favreau do? I think as a director, he did fine. I think as a writer, he did fine. I did really like his character. I did too. I thought he, I've never been a huge fan of him as an actor, but I think this is a role that he nailed. I, I mean, I, I, do, I do too. And I, I hope that now that he's gotten, you know, I assume he took some of the money that came out of Iron Man. The Iron, Iron Man, Man money, movies, yes. And this was kind of like a pet project. I hope he kind of continues to do smaller independent films because I think he's a good writer mm-hmm. and he's, you know, a good director. So well, now, I, he may have spent all that Iron Man movie on Cowboys and Aliens. I never did see that. I didn't either. I think there's a reason why that happened. Uh, so, okay. anyway. Well, John Favreau, please stick with the smaller movies. I think... That's where we like you right now. So that's where you need to be. I'm sure you're listening. Please take note. <laughs> Call us if you need any more career advice. So that's Chef, uh, limited release film, not getting a huge exposure, not getting a huge wide release, I don't think, anytime soon. But we do encourage you to check it out. It's a lot of fun. Good film by John Favreau and a whole uh, cast of well-known actors that you kind of have fun picking out throughout the film. All right. So we're going to move on to our next review, which is a very different film, a documentary is about the life of the film critic uh, that we all know. And uh, honestly, he's probably had a little bit of an inspiration even to what we're doing here in this show. Roger Ebert and the documentary is Life Itself. 
Roger Ebert was the definitive mainstream film critic in American cinema. He has been writing for half of the history of feature films. Roger was a mature writer early on. He's written over a dozen books. He wrote a novel. He won a Pulitzer Prize. Roger was good addition, but he also could take it. He is a nice guy, but he's not that nice. It's Thriller Week on Cisco and Ebert in the movies, and we've got three new ones. Sound a little excited, Gene. Sound less excited, Roger. So, Chris, we both recently saw the documentary Life Itself, yes. which is based on the biography uh, of Roger Ebert. Mm-hmm. It was a memoir that Roger Ebert wrote. Steve James, who is a very well-known documentary filmmaker, started out with Hoop Dreams many years ago. Hoop right. Dreams being a film that Roger Ebert was a huge champion of. Sure. So I think he and Steve James really kind of got a nice friendship relationship going after that. And where Steve, you know, Steve James is also a Chicago person. He is a Chicagoan, so they have the Chicago connection. Plus, I think uh, Roger really championed Hoop Dreams and got it a lot of national attention for being the great documentary it was. So he really kind of helped launch Steve James' career. Here we have a film that is talking about the life of Roger Ebert, but it also is really more set in the contemporary setting of his last, really, several months of life. He did pass away just not too long ago, within the last year here. Um, And this film was being started while he was still alive. He had been going through a lot of cancer treatments. He had had jaw removed. He just lost his ability to speak over the last several years of his life. So Steve James, I kind of felt like was making a film to kind of pay Roger back for being Mm. such a champion of his. It's like, I want to do something that puts a spotlight on Roger and really shares the world, the story of what I know to be a, a really fascinating person and to talk about his life. So knowing that and knowing that you and I get together every couple of weeks and we review films, sure, it's a format that I don't know if we'd be doing this podcast the way we'd be doing it if Siskel and Ebert, you know, uh, didn't do what they did so many years ago and really popularize the idea of film criticism. Mm -hmm. So knowing how important Roger Ebert's career was to even our life in a film society and a film podcast here, and knowing that it looks like Steve James was really trying to do Roger Ebert, pay him the honor he felt like he deserved by making this film, my answer to the question to you is, did this film do for Roger Ebert's life what you felt like it did? In other words, did it live up to what it needed to for Roger Ebert's life? I think if Roger Ebert would be able to watch this movie, mm-hmm. I think he would give it a two. Th- well, he would only give it one thumbs up. The other reviewer would have to give it another. Right. Thumb. But no, I think he would be completely happy with you it. You think so? I think it did the legacy of Robert Ebert justice or Robert Roger. Roger. Yes. Give him correct legacy, but Roger, Roger Ebert justice. And I, I think that one of the things that he, Steve James, the director definitely gets right is that he doesn't put Ebert on a pedestal. You're right. It shows, you know, in his younger days, he could be a bit of a braggart. He Mm -hmm. could be very abrasive. It shows outtakes of the Siskel and Ebert show with he and Gene Siskel going at each other pretty pretty ruthlessly mm-hmm. and it doesn't shy away from that and you're not see it's not gene siskel's fault you know gene siskel has also had an ego you know oh, so yeah. it but it shows you the rough sides of these people and even to the even in when he was sick and he is trying to return home and it shows you him as a debilitated person and some of his stubbornness and they didn't shy away from that right and i going into the movie i expected you know a documentary about Roger Ebert, what I didn't expect was kind of a a glimpse into his final yeah. days. And that really took me aback, and I thought it was really impressive and kind of a – I don't know of any – it was kind of a new type of documentary in a way for me hmm. because, I've, you know, you see documentaries on people's lives, but very rarely – do you see the person aware that they are about to die and they're, you're reflecting back on their it's life? It's a little self, self-referential because Roger Ebert knew that Steve James was making a documentary about Absolutely. his life. But I think Roger probably knew that there's a really good chance, almost 100% chance, he was never going to see this film. Yes. Yeah, this is interesting. Yeah. So I, 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 to answer your question, I think Roger would be – I think it does do his – legacy mm. justice so how how are you no i i agree i agree i i liked the the film uh better than i expected to okay um mainly because i was happy that they show uh, i think the framing that they put in place of all the 
happening now scenes taking place in the hospital room, mm-hmm. basically. And as shocking as some of those scenes were, I mean, you know, those of you who have seen Roger Ebert in his later years after he had had the jaw reconstruction and just uh, he's he looks very different. Yes. And it's somewhat uncomfortable to look at. Mm-hmm. Well, this film does not shy away from that. Absolutely There's actually a couple not. scenes that are downright really tough to watch yeah. um, of him in the in the hospital room being tended to being fed through so a tube can breathe and, and stuff like it's, that. it was tough. It was a very tough watch. Um, I agree with you. I think it did an interesting job of being more of a commentary on dealing with what you know is coming at the end of your life mm-hmm. because all along, you know, we are watching somebody in Roger Ebert, at least the last several years, especially after he got married. I think, I think the, the, the film really paints a good picture of him getting married changed him. Right where he had some good qualities and traits down deep in him. I think him getting married and what the film really showed is when he got married and actually found a partner and found a greater purpose in life is when he was able to let those really positive qualities of him be much more front and center. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree. And so I think the film did a good job of showing that not to say that, you know, somebody's going to get married to be happy or whatever. No. It's just, I think he needed somebody as his support Right. And I think in a way he kind of saw Gene Siskel as a little bit of that, almost like the big brother adversarial thing. And when that was gone, I think that really sharpened his focus too, to say, you know what? I I've got more to give back to this world on a positive nature. The scenes of he, him and his grandkids, which granted he didn't have any natural children of his own. Right. He adopted basically his uh, Chaz, his wife, when they got married, adopted her kids and her kids had kids. So he had all of a sudden he had step grandkids. Mm-hmm. And the scenes of him interacting with them and taking walks in the park and just that camaraderie with even his youngest grandson, that to me showed me that this is Roger Ebert became a different person than maybe what we saw as the guy hanging out at the bar, telling the stories and getting these philosophical conversations. This was now a man who was giving back. And I thought that was just a, a really nice way to frame the film. Um, one area I just I wish they had gone into a little more detail of is I never from the film got the best sense of what exactly about film and movies drew Roger Ebert to that medium. Because he started out as a newspaper writer. A newspaper. And we learned a lot about his passion for newspaper writing. But then it was kind of like, and then he became a film critic. Like, okay, that seems kind of odd. It was just a gap there. Now I've read about Roger Ebert. I know a lot more of his story. I know what drove him to film and I know his passion for film. That's just the one area of the documentary I don't think they dug into as much as they should. Other than that, though, it was a very comprehensive film. I think it covered all the aspects of his life it should have covered. And I think um, I think my wife said it best when I was talking to her at lunch and we had watched the film together. She said, you know, growing up that when you watched the, the Siskel and Ebert show, you always kind of thought Ebert was the kind of the pompous little self-arrogant guy <laughs> where Gene Siskel was like the really nice, you know, pleasant person to be around. Right. And it's not to say that we learn from this film that actually they're kind of swapped because I don't think Gene Siskel was a, a bad person. They had a role to play. But I do yeah. think you really come out of this saying, wow, okay, so the Roger Ebert I was seeing on TV, yes, he was arrogant, he seemed a little smarmy, but down deep, he was a good person. Absolutely. And he cared about the lesser man. He cared about the people that were downtrodden. He was very big on civic civil civil rights. He was very, very big on equality. And all these things really, I think the film did a good job of showing that. I, I would agree. I'd, I enjoyed seeing, of course, when you do a movie about a film critic, you're going to show some directors. Mm-hmm. And I enjoyed seeing... Uh, Werner Herzog, yeah. Errol Morris, Martin Scorsese. There's a, <laughs> I would have liked to see more of maybe Herzog and Morris because um, yeah. they basically they showed a lot of Martin Scorsese, but he was one of the producers of the executive yeah. producers of the film, so he was in there a lot. But it it was well, interesting to see them comment on this person who had commented on their work, and actually that was one of the <laughs> one of the, my favorite parts with Martin Scorsese is they he commented yeah. on. Ebert's review of the, Color, the Color Money. Money. And Ebert was not high on that movie. Yeah, right. But Scorsese made an interesting comment. He said, you know, he kind of paraphrased the review, and basically he took it as he didn't just tear him down. He said, I expect more of him. Yeah. I expect more of Scorsese. You've got, you've got to make this up, you right. know, and next so time. Scorsese was like, you know, it wasn't just like he was tearing me down. He was giving me encouragement saying, you can do better. Yeah. And so I thought that was really interesting. Well, and we had uh, Barani. Uh, uh, oh, I mean Barani. I mean yeah, Barani, yeah. which, you know, 
a little bit of a local connection in North Carolina School of the Arts graduate, and we've actually shown one of his films at our film society. Right. Uh, I didn't really know there was a connection as much with he and Roger Ebert, but he actually was in the film quite a bit and visited True. visited Roger in the hospital in the last several months there. So um, it was – I enjoyed that too. I, I was afraid, honestly, for a while that the film was just going to be as many people talking as glowingly as possible about Roger. Mm. Okay. That's really what I feared going into this is there's just going to be one big eulogy. Right. A lot of stories about how great he was. I, I echo what you said at the beginning. I think the fact that they didn't paint, they didn't whitewash everything. No, they didn't. I think, and there were times where, you know, you kind of got the sense Roger yeah, was a troubled guy at he times. He was an alcoholic. He was an alcoholic. Supposedly he had some interesting relationships with women early on in his career. Absolutely. Um, he was very insecure right. in a way. Um and I think all that came about, and we saw that in the film, and, and it didn't shy away. And then, of course, the, the naked emotion of just seeing him in the hospital room being cared for. That's, it, it's not a flattering picture, no. but it's obviously one that Roger wanted, and I think he, was, yeah. he definitely wanted that to be part of the film. And I think I, I will say that my only negatives for the film, and I you know, have it listed kind of – I didn't specify down to why Roger chose film. I hadn't even thought about that, actually. Mm-hmm. But at one point, they do kind of an interesting use of technology – kind of like Chef, where they show instant messages or like text messages back and forth between him, um, between Steve James, the director, and Roger Ebert, saying Mm -hmm. like, you know, hey, I was going to come to your house tomorrow. I was going to ask you this, this, and this, you know, kind of setting up different interview times. And uh, one of the things that really killed me, and it's a negative because he actually bullet pointed like three or four questions and, you know, and Roger just texted back. This was towards the end. He's like, I can't having a bad day. And it was just like, that was so devastating. It was, and you want some of those questions. You're like, yeah, I want to hear more about that. (laughs) And it was frustrating because, you know, what a way Steve James actually kind of made us feel just as frustrated as probably he was. Right. Where it's like, I've still got a lot of questions to ask. I still got a lot of information I need to know, but I'm not going to get them. Right. You know, and it's, it was, it was a shame. Plus uh, Chaz Ebert, you know, who, uh, I didn't know a lot about her, the wife of Roger Ebert, but uh, man, she's a she's a she's a, a she's a good person too. It seems I, like from the film, I would agree. And I, I what have really amazed me is you know it's one thing for Roger to want this film to be made, but Chess had to be okay with it too. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty invasive. I mean, obviously it's invasive into his life, but it's really invasive into her life too. Mm-hmm. And sure. she she let it happen. Yeah. And I think it's just an amazing document yeah I, I think we're both on the same page that we really enjoyed this documentary uh, i only have the one misgiving with it just one area that it was already a pretty long documentary so again it kind of like what we said with chef it's maybe one of those things where you know yeah they could have gone into more detail but at some point you got to cut it loose i just i wish they would have really gave us a little insight as to why film became the passion for roger as opposed to newspaper writing as opposed to any other art form. Right. And that was the one gap I felt like we, we just had there. So, well, and yeah, it was just, I hadn't even thought about, I was so overwhelmed with this movie. And there again, you know, it shows you how on board I was with it because I didn't even notice, you know, Mm -hmm. running time or anything. Yeah. So I'll I'll say my letterbox score for this is going to be five. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. I'm going four and a half. So I'm, I'm pretty close. Uh, not perfect film but a really 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 good document documentary so okay man we've got two good films so far chef life itself life itself is available on itunes and other streaming services so you definitely need to check it out online because I, I, it's not playing at many places so it'd probably be right. a little hard to find right now um but yeah we definitely say uh check it out now we do i haven't seen any extra films but alan i believe you did make it to see how to train your dragon Yes, dos. Um, I did. I did see How to Train Your Dragon. We'll throw this in as a little bonus. I like dragons. I like, I mean, it's just, you know, it's just me. I like dragons. I like the the time period that supposedly dragons would have taken place in medieval times and some of that. So the first How to Train Your Dragon, I went in with trepidation because, I don't know, animated kid films that are not Pixar you really got to win me over. You really got to be a good film. And How to Train Your Dragon, the first one, was a good film. It was a really good film. I enjoyed it. So I was excited about the second one, and I really liked the second one. I liked the second one better than the first one. Really? Uh, it's a good, good okay. sequel. And it's also, it has stakes. It's, it's hits the right emotional uh, Does it points. Does it have A1 sauce? 
Just steak. <laughs> just steak. Yes. Steak. No sauce. Food. Just steak. Right. Yeah, we also carry on my food as my uh, chicken snack wrap sits here staring me in the face. I don't have to <laughs> eat during the break here. It's, it's a really good movie. The animation is great. I mean, it's to the point now where I, I don't think you can really look at these animated films and say, oh, the animation was amazing. I mean, they're all kind of hitting at the same level. Okay. So then it all boils down to story. You know, it does the story hold up. You don't go to see these films anymore because you want to see the incredible animation. You go because you want to see a good story. And I think this one had a really good story. I know, Chris, that you are not a fan of Mr. Jay Baruchel. I am not. Uh, because we talked about that at length during the review of This is the End. Yeah. Um, his voice is no less grating in this film than it has been in other films. Um, it's a little better than it was in How to Train Your Dragon, the first one, because he's playing an older character now. He's gotcha. a little few years older, so he can mature his voice a little bit. Um, but other than that, the voice acting is great across the board. Everybody else... Um, you've got, uh, gosh, and I'm already drawing a blank on the names. Um, Kate Blanchett does the, uh, the, his mother, Okay, his mother's a new character they introduced back in the film. And who's the guy that does the late night talk show? Um, he's English. Ferguson? Um, yeah. Ferguson. Craig Ferguson is in it as a, I don't remember his name. I'm really bad with names here <laughs> on this film, but the voice acting is really good. Okay. I, I saw it phrased at one point as kind of being the empire strikes back of the trilogy. Really? Which now that grand, that's saying that's a lot to it, praise. but it didn't quite go that far and that it didn't, it didn't create this real ominous mood and leave you on kind of a dark space, but it did have some very darker, sadder moments. Hmm. So it definitely did beat down the story a little bit more. It was not quite as upbeat as the first one might've been a little more downtrodden here at times. Uh, I definitely think they're setting up for a future one. It was pretty obvious from the film. But it's it's a good it's a good movie. I had a really good time. The kids really enjoyed it as well. So I have not seen this movie, but I cannot tell you how many times I've seen the preview. Yeah. So there's enough left for me in this oh, movie. Yeah. So don't be discouraged just yes. by it looks like. Okay. Yes. There's actually I will go ahead and say there is a scene towards the end, kind of the big climactic scene. Okay. That is a as close as you can get nowadays in the theater to a stand up and cheer scene and, and moment, which okay. if you like the characters in this series so far, and especially the dragon, um, I'm forgetting his name too. I really am bad with names tonight. <laughs> what is it? I have Who's not the one that he befriended in the first movie. Yeah. Name? Toothless. Yeah. Okay. Toothless, the little black dragon. Yes. Um, he has a moment at the end that is just a yes, cheer, happy <laughs> way to go to way to go. Okay. And, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a really good movie. I, I highly encourage it. Hey, you could do a lot worse. It is. I'm sure a hundred times better than whatever Transformers number we're up to now okay. that you and I are still refusing to go see in the movie right. theater. So right. uh, definitely say how to train your dragon too. a lot of fun to go check out. Okay, cool. With that, we're done with the reviews for a little bit. Let's move on to some movie news after the break. And then we'll also cap off the show with our recommendation of a film we think you ought to check out. So stay tuned. We'll be right back with for candle films. We'll get back to your show in a moment. Just a reminder, you're listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Find out more at themesh.tv and give us feedback on what you like. And now, as promised, back to your show. Welcome back to Foot Candle Films. First half of the show, we reviewed the film Chef, and we reviewed the film Life Itself, the documentary about Roger Ebert. Positive reviews on both films from both of us. Now let's move on to the next part of the show where we like to talk a little bit about some movie news. And by this, you know, we're not going too deep into the gossip mill. We don't really care about who's dating who, who's doing whatever with who. We really want to talk about films that are either being made, ones that are being considered, ones that may be coming down the horizon. Chris, I know for the first 60 plus episodes of our show, I've kind of consumed the news headlines and just asked you to respond to them. The last couple episodes, I'll tell you. I've come you, up with some. You've stepped it up, man. You've <laughs> stepped it up. You've come up with some news articles. Cool. So I, I understand you've got a couple more to share with us. I'm going to let you take the center stage right now. Okay. What do you got Fair to enough. share? Okay. So Bill Murray has a movie coming out in October. Yes. Uh, last one that I really remember him having a major, he was in Grand Budapest Hotel, but uh, Get Low was his last one that I really remember him being like center stage with Robert wow. Duvall. Now, You're right. Now, he wasn't, and it wasn't a lead acting role. That's true. He was supporting. Supporting. Technically, the last lead acting role, do you know what it was? No. The Man Who Knew Too Little. 
Do you remember that little spy spoof movie well, like all those years ago? Really, really. That was his last ago. starring movie like in person, not as an animated cat. Now, I get, but Steve, was that after Steve Zissou, Life Aquatic, or no? Uh, I think it was. Oh, really? Okay. I think so. Now, I could be wrong. Now, if not, maybe Steve Zizou was uh, Life Aquatic was the last one. Okay. Well, Either way, it's been a long time. It's been, it's been a while. Mm-hmm. Oh, Broken Flowers, Jim Jarmusch. Oh, you're right. But that, he, is, that is more recent. But, but he, you know, he really, other than like Wes Anderson joints, he really mm-hmm. kind of doesn't do a whole lot. Yeah, sure. Well, the new movie coming out is called St. Vincent, and it's mm-hmm. coming out in October. And this is kind of a short little description. Bill Murray stars as a grumpy, often drunk, misfit neighbor who winds up looking after a new kid in the neighborhood and teaching him a variety of oddball life lessons, Mm -hmm. stick with me, Mm -hmm. such as how to break a man's nose. So, Alan, you look a little leery. (laughs) Well, if you took out the words Bill Murray from that description, I'd read that and say, ugh, (laughs) that sounds horrible. (laughs) It sounds about as ridiculous cliche as you could possibly imagine. Now, you put Bill Murray in there, immediately my mind starts thinking, okay, is this the Bill Murray that is going to cash in a paycheck like he did with Garfield? Or is this the Bill Murray that has been doing some great Wes Anderson films and Jarmusch films and other films lately? Okay. Also, this may help sway you a little bit. Mm -hmm. He's also got Naomi Watts and Chris O'Dowd. Oh, okay. Which I like both of them. Okay. And then he also has Melissa McCarthy. Oh, who was that again? Can you say it a little louder? Melissa McCarthy. Well, you don't like Melissa McCarthy? I uh, thought she was funny in Bridesmaids, and she's basically been doing the same thing ever since. And True. Tammy right now, you notice that's out in theaters and we're not discussing it. Yeah, so, I've heard some bad things about Tammy. Um, I think she has potential. I don't know if it's just, but she was the one who wrote Tammy, didn't she? <laughs> she wrote it, and her okay. husband directed it. Okay. Um, I think Melissa McCarthy is probably good in these supporting roles. I did not see Identity Theft, which she is a star in with Jason, Jason Bateman. Bateman. I heard bad things about that one as well. Uh, but, you know, did you see This Is 40? No, I never did. She see has that. a small part in This Is 40, and she's funny. Okay. I thought she's funny in Bridesmaids. I think she's probably somebody is a good supporting character, a bit part character, not a lead actress. But Gotcha. All right, so back to the question, though. You know what? Hey, I like Bill Murray. I'm willing to give him a shot. Uh, it's just... The description you just read does not give me a whole lot of hope. Now, granted, you could take that description and do a really cool thing with it. Right. I look back at the film About a Boy, mm-hmm. um, which was from years ago, which if you had read the description of it About a Boy, yeah, I would have rolled my eyes and said, oh, that sounds horrible. <laughs> and it was actually a really good movie because right. it had a lot more going than just, oh, I'm a hip young man and I'm befriending a little kid and we're helping each other out. You know, it's... It had a lot more going for it. I hope St. Vincent has a lot more going for it as well. So. Agreed. I'm, I'm interested to see Bill Murray have a lead role again. So yeah. hopefully this will yeah, be worthwhile. You know the story about him with the whole Garfield movie, right? The rumor about why he agreed to do Garfield, the voice of Garfield uh, in that first remind, movie. Remind me. I think okay. he told me, but it was all fair. So. <laughs> um, so supposedly, and this is just everything you read on the internet. You don't know how true this is. And this could have been a story Bill Murray just made up. It, it actually <laughs> sounds like something he would have just made up to try to give an excuse. Is that he was approached to be the voice of Garfield. And this is at a time where... He was starting to shy away from big blockbuster stuff. He did the part of Bosley in the first uh, Charlie's Angels remake right, movie right. and supposedly hated it. Hmm. Got into fights with everybody on the set and at that point said, you know what? I'm done making these big, big, big budget movies. I don't want a part of it anymore. Hmm. But then not too long after that, he did Garfield. The story is, is that he only signed on to do Garfield because he saw that the writer of the script was an Eaton Cohen. He thought it was Ethan Cohen, right. one of the Cohen brothers. Wow. <laughs> so supposedly he signed on to be the lead voice for Garfield. He's like, it's be- an animated cat movie, but it's done but by it's, one of the Cohen brothers. But it's one of the Cohen brothers. <laughs> well, Cohen was spelled the right way, but it's Eaton, E-T-A-N, Cohen, who's nice. not at all related to Joel and Ethan Cohen. That was supposedly the reason he did Garfield. Now. Wow. That very well could just be a Bill Murray story story he made up to say because it sounds funny and it gives him more of an out on why he made such a bad movie. Right. Um, made two of them. Yeah, I was going to say, the story doesn't really hold up because he did make the sequel. So anyway, sorry, I didn't mean to dis- derail no, your story there. But I just always thought that was a funny one. So um, so the next news item I have is um, I've heard some details about Pixar's next film. Okay. It's coming out June 2015. And it's going to be called Inside Out. 
Okay. And I'll give you a little bit of a plot story so far, what they've you know vaguely released, is that it's about an 11-year-old girl named Riley, mm-hmm. who is basically, her family is moving to San Francisco, and I guess she's in the Midwest or something, and it's based on her emotions as she's going through this process of having to move. Okay. And it also, apparently, you're going to hear a lot of her internal dialogue, mm-hmm. and she's going to have, and the, her like internal voices in her head are going to be voiced by famous people, such as uh-huh. Amy Poehler doing Joy, Bill Hader doing Fear, Louis Black doing Anger, <laughs> And uh, Mindy, Mindy Kaling doing Disgust. So, so she's are, from The Office. I believe. Right, right. Yeah. right. So mm-hmm. those are some of the things they have attached. What do you think about that, Alan? I, you know what? It, it's Pixar. Yeah. You know, uh, even though I'm not, I don't love all the Pixar films, I right. admire almost all the Pixar films except for the Cars movies. Um, really, <laughs> Which that's, they keep making. <sighs> cars and planes. There'll be trains and motorboats or something later. Who knows? <laughs> motorboats. <laughs> That'll be the name of the next one. Motorboats. <laughs> You've just given them an idea for another one. You realize that, I'm sorry. Right? I didn't mean it. Don't make motorboats, please. Um, other than the Cars movies, I think I, I, I respect everything that, that Pixar does. Sure. Even Brave, which you did not like. No. I thought was okay. I thought was good. And I thought was something different for them to try to do. Um, so I'm willing to say, Hey, lay it on me. Let's try it out. Let's see how it is. It sounds like it's a little more creative, a little more creativity infused concept than a bunch of talking cars driving around. (laughs) Um, so there again, I'm already feeling a little more upbeat about it than probably any other animated project you hear about coming up. And it sounds different. The fact that apparently you're going to have these like internal dialogues taking place in a kid's head, not in a child's head. So that's, I don't know. It sounds interesting. I I agree. I'm, I'm interested to see where it goes for sure. Okay. I've got one last little, this is kind of a quick news item for me. You may, do you have some as well? I I got one or two things I'll mention just to get some quick reaction on. So we've talked in the past about biopics. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I'm going to give you two biopics that are coming up and the actors playing them. And I want to see which one you'd rather spend your money on. Okay. Okay. Got it. Don Cheadle as Miles Davis Mm -hmm. or Andre 3000 as Jimi Hendrix. Okay. You've, you like both of them are playing. You can only go see one. You have to go see one. Maybe I should say, Um, okay. Which one are you most wanting to spend your money? I'm going to cheat a little bit. Okay. I'm going to say the Miles Davis film. Okay. For two reasons. One, Don Cheadle is a, an actor I trust. Okay. I'm not saying Andre, is it 2000 or 3000? 3000. 3000. I'm not saying Andre 3000 is not a great actor, but I don't know. And that would worry me playing somebody as iconic as Jimi Hendrix. Now, hmm. the main reason though, I'm going to say uh, the Don Cheadle film of uh, Miles Davis. I've read that. The producers of the Jimi Hendrix film could not get rights to all of Jimi Hendrix's most popular songs. Oh, bummer. So you're not going to hear him do the songs he's known for in the film. That's my understanding. If that's the case, that's why I say, yep, I'm going with the Miles Davis film. I had not heard that. That's what I've heard. Now, they are working on another Jimi Hendrix film that supposedly has got a bigger financer, bigger budget. And, of course, they're going after all the the song rights. Hmm. But this one is a little more lower budget. And I don't think, I think you're going to hear him play some songs that maybe were like B-sides on the albums or not as the popular songs, but you're not going to hear him do, you know, Purple Haze or anything. So you're making me think this is going to be Ashton, Ashton Kutchner's jobs as a pair compared to whatever the Steve Jobs movie that's That's, going to be coming out. That's a very good way of of looking at it. That's, Hmm. that's why I say, you know what, Don Cheadle, he's a big time actor. I'm sure it's a it's a good, decent budget film, and they're going to pull out all the stops to do a good biopic. Hmm. I'm like you. I'm not a huge fan of the biopic format, but I'm willing, you know, I'm always willing to give it a shot, especially when it has to be about a musician's life. I do have an affinity towards films about musicians. Sure. Whether it's documentaries about bands, whether it's a biopics of a performer or singer, I am drawn to those more than maybe sports figures or political figures or historical figures in any way. So, yeah. Hmm. Okay. Well, interesting. Yeah. I, I, I had to say that before I, you told me the news that you just shared with me about the, <laughs> I, for some reason, um, Andre 3000 having been kind of out of the spotlight for a mm-hmm. while, you know, outcast mm-hmm. music group that he was associated with kind yes. of like broke up and stuff. Um, they made a film 
called Idlewild, which yes. I have never seen and have scoured the internet trying to find it. Mm-hmm. I would actually like to see it because I've heard some interesting things about it. But when I saw his name associated with Jimi Hendrix, I was like, hmm. So I was more interested in that, but I still want to see the Miles Davis one. So it's kind of where I Well, hey, and I hope I'm wrong. I mean, I really do hope. I, I think Jimi Hendrix is a more fascinating character to watch a film about. If it's a well-made film and if Andre 3000 pulls off the acting chops, hey, that could be awesome. Even if it's not the Purple Haze songs and all that they're playing, I sure. think it still could be a good film. I just, you know, right away, I think, I think more of the... Uh, I think more of the expertise lies on the Miles Davis side of the film, and that sounds like a little more of a sure bet for me right now. Okay. Um, well, let me just – a couple of films really quick that, that are happening right now or they're talking about, and I thought, yeah, I might be interested, but kind of a follow-up to some films we've reviewed in the past. Okay. Um, we promised ourselves we weren't going to talk about superheroes or Star Wars. We've and done, I'm, we've done I'm, good so far. I'm keeping to it. Okay. I'm, I'm coming close we with this one. We mentioned Empire Strikes Back. but then. We're coming close with this news item, but it's still not superheroes or Star Wars. Okay. Uh, Guillermo del Toro okay. uh, is going to make Pacific Rim 2. <laughs> well, there we go. And Chris is beaming with excitement. Yeah, 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 I know you're not. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm fine with it. I'm happy. I think you even asked me the question: uh, Would I be interested in seeing a sequel to Pacific Rim? And I said, sure, yes, absolutely. I like the world. I like the the setup that they have. So, um, footnote: mm-hmm. I don't know if you know this or not, and I cannot tell you the name because he hasn't said the name. He is working on a black and white independent, like low budget film or something. That's true for mm-hmm. Pacific, but I think. I guess, and he's like working on casting that one right now before he's going to do Pacific Rim 2. He's pulling a Whedon. He is, which, mm-hmm. you know, that makes me not excited for Pacific Rim 2, but excited for the fact that he's going to take the money that he made from Pacific mm-hmm. Rim to do it. So well, I don't know off. if he made tons from Pacific Rim. Pacific Rim did, Pacific Rim did not exactly light the world on fire. Okay. <laughs> it did okay. And I think internationally it did just good enough to warrant a sequel, hmm. but there for a while, pretty much everybody was talking about, there's not going to be a sequel. So the wow. fact that they did announce they are making one is kind of a surprise, hmm. but somebody's got a lot of, a lot of confidence in that being a franchise at some point. So we'll see, hmm. but I did see about him making a very small independent black and white film in between. I think go, sounds good to me. Pulling a Whedon. <laughs> Pulling a Whedon. Uh, one more last note on another franchise, uh, one that I have been hit or miss on. Okay. And I think uh, I think you're mostly miss on. <laughs> um, Mr. Cruz, Mr. Tom Cruise, Tom. Tommy, as, Tommy, as I call him, Tommy boy. Uh, is, surprise, surprise, they're working on a Mission Impossible 5. Dude. Yeah, I know. See, I said you were going to be mostly miss on this. Um <laughs> Yeah. Wow. Supposedly. Uh, I thought he was done with it because after the fourth one, wasn't he like stepping away? And no, no. Priming a uh, Jeremy Renner. Jeremy Renner. Jeremy Renner. Here's the thing about Jeremy Renner. Jeremy Renner is being brought in to try to be the next reboot for franchises and it's not working. <laughs> okay. He was brought he in. You can't kick out Tom Cruise. He was like, brought into Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol as kind of another Mission Impossible agent or whatever they're called. And everybody thought, oh, this is a good chance for Jeremy Renner to be the next lead in this. And it didn't work. And Tom Cruise kept, keeps yelling from off screen, I'm not dead. Yeah, I'm not dead. I'm, not dead. I'm still here. <laughs> but they tried to pull the same thing with the Bourne uh, franchise. They put Jeremy Renner in as the lead in the latest Bourne film, and it did not do very well at all. So now the rumors are that they're going back and getting Matt Damon to come back and play Jason Bourne again. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Jeremy Renner can't, That's he what can't it carry be it. Bourne again. Bourne. <laughs> Oh, we are on fire tonight, Chris. Wow. God, I hope all the Hollywood agents listening to this contact us right away. Born again. It's perfect. (laughs) Anyway, Mission Impossible 5. Um, Hmm. Christopher McQuarrie is directing it. Now. Did he do Charlie's Angel? No. No. Christopher McQuarrie, the last film he did was uh, also a Tom Cruise film, uh, Jack Reacher. Oh, I never um, saw that. So I, I did not either. Yeah, okay. so I can't. We can't pass judgment. No. That's our rule: is that if we haven't seen the film, we technically can't pass judgment on True. it, unless it's Transformers. <laughs> <laughs> then we can badmouth. Uh, then that we can say we... whatever we want because right. we. I sat through enough of those other films, so I can talk badly about the new one. Macquarie <laughs> um, is more of a uh, gritty action director. Okay, um, I think he did live and die in LA many, many years ago. And he's done some other, he's written a lot more than he's directed lately. So Hmm. I do like the fact that each one of these mission impossible films, is a different director. 
at least that gives it a shot to say, you know what, this could be different. Okay. I really, really liked Mission Impossible 3, which was J.J. Abrams. I liked that, and it had Philip Seymour Hoffman. It did. So it was a really me. good. That was probably the best one of the four, for sure. I liked the original one, which was Brian De Palma. Okay. It was a confusing. It was a little <laughs> muddied, but it was a good one. Now, the one that John Woo did, the number two, was horrible. Okay. Ghost Protocol, I was let down by. It was not as good as everybody kept saying it was going to be, which was uh, who did uh, – who. who God, it was uh, the guy who did the Iron Giant and the Incredibles. What's his name? Oh, um, Brad did, Bird. Brad Bird did number four, Ghost Protocol. So, um, you know, I, I like the fact when you keep changing up the directors, it just basically means that, hey, you don't have to worry about this being exactly like the last one. There's a chance it could be a different style to it. So uh, supposedly Jessica Chastain was going to be in Mission Impossible 5, which right away, that's hmm. interesting. Yeah. But then she passed on it. Because um, she found out that it wasn't going to be Jeremy Renner. It was going to be Tom Cruise. She's like, oh, yes. no, 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 I meant to say I can't do that. No, sorry. <laughs> yes, she is a Renner fanboy. Right. And she wanted to be in a Jeremy Renner acting movie. Um, but there, supposedly Alec Baldwin is now going to be in this film. Hmm. Which, all right, whatever. Um <laughs> Hey, you know what? We'll give it a shot. We'll see what happens. But I uh, just wanted to pass that on because I knew know, you'd be okay, terribly excited. Okay. So Macquarie's directing and Cruz is obviously Mr. He's the lead. Yeah. I do think Jeremy Renner is back in it, but okay. he's still not lead because hmm. I think everybody's scared to give Jeremy Renner the lead now. <laughs> okay. That's why Hawkeye was so underutilized in the Avengers movie. There we go. Yeah. Okay, I think we hit enough news. What do you think? I think that's good. Okay, we've bad-mouthed enough people, <laughs> talked about films that we have no intentions of seeing, or ever wanting to see now. So let's move on to our recommendations. Okay. These are films that we think you ought to check out. They're either available online or you can look them up somewhere. It could be a recent film we've seen that we think we, we want to recommend. It can be something from the archives that maybe we've pulled back out. So, Chris, what have you got to share with us today? What's, uh, what's your recommendation of film for us? I'm going to recommend a film that I think was at festivals in 2013, but was really released majorly in 2014. And that is the film Enemy, which um, we actually talked to. And it's a movie that has doppelgangers in it. And it's Jake Gyllenhaal. And he has a double in the movie. And uh, it causes lots of problems. And we actually had talked about maybe reviewing this for the show, but instead we reviewed The Double with Jesse Eisenberg. Yeah, I got confused and I watched the wrong movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, you did. Uh, this, I thought this movie was much better. Um, oh, really? So you liked Enemy better than The Double? Absolutely. Okay. Um, it comes down to the movie doesn't rely on so much visual style like The Double did. I felt like there was a lot of style there and not a lot of substance to mm-hmm. the movie. Um, this definitely has like you know visual style but it it's very confusing mm-hmm. and actually uh when i was going checking back on movies i was going to review i was like oh yeah enemy i like that i should mention that one so that's what i'm recommending i can't wait to go back and see it again because i was picking up today some criticism about it and they were talking about the movie's ending mm-hmm. and the movie's ending is very odd it's okay. not a last shot that you're going to forget like even wow. if you forgot the rest of the movie you'd be like oh yeah that's the movie that ends with this happening and they'll mm. be like yep <laughs> um it's a very interesting movie talking about doppelgangers but topping it talking about like identity and who you think you are and there's a lot of really bizarre imagery hmm. in the movie that has to do with spiders there's a lot of references to spiders and uh see the movie and then go online and try to look for some criticism that, and they kind of link what they think the spider stuff means and it's fascinating so i can't wait to watch it again because i still like the movie even though at the end i was kind of like i'm not sure i understood really what was going on but it still kept me involved hmm. um so well now i'm very interested and i'm glad actually, i heard you talk about it we uh reviewed what was the name of that movie um in it was it wasn't enemies it was the previous director prisoners dennis, prisoners it was like it's not yep. enemies because this is enemy uh but prisoners yeah by uh dennis Villeneuve, yeah. have you said? But was, Which I really liked that film. Yeah, and I, mm. it was kind of a tough watch because it's it about was. people being abducted, children. Being but it's abducted. a well-made film. Well-made film. And I think he – I liked this film much better, and I thought it was not as heavy-handed as some of the mm. moments in Prisoners were. So uh, it's Enemy. It should be available on iTunes. It was when I watched it at least. Um, but I recommend it will probably be coming out on DVD soon. So uh, Enemy, check it out. Okay. 
Uh, so you, you kind of talked about a more recent film. I'm going to go back in time a little bit, back to 1966. Hmm. Um, I finally got around to seeing a film uh, that I'm sure many of our listeners have heard of, but I don't know how many have actually ever sat down and watched. It's Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? I have heard of it. Yeah, Elizabeth Taylor, Richard Burton. Okay. Um, it's based on a stage play. Uh, I went into this film, no familiarity with the story at all. Hmm. I had never seen the play. I'd never seen this film. I've only heard about the title and I knew that Elizabeth Taylor was in it. That was really all I knew about the film. Okay. Basically what you have in this film, and I feel we are talking about what I know many people consider to be more of a classic. So I'm sure a lot of people listening have probably seen this film and know it, but I'm still going to describe it like plot wise. Sure. Basically we're following a, a very bitter old couple played by Elizabeth Taylor, Richard Burton, who were, I don't know if they were married at the time. They were the ones that got married and remarried a couple times or something. Right. right. But they play an older couple. They play a little bit against type. Elizabeth Tyler, Taylor is very, she's a little bit of a drunkard. She's very boisterous. She's loud. She's, uh, she's penetrating. She's, she's biting. And then you've got Richard Burton playing George, the husband, who's, snide, sarcastic, but also a little bit of a wimp. So they're both playing very, very different characters than what they traditionally are known to be in, in, in classic Hollywood. Hmm. Mike Nichols is the director. Oh, okay. Yeah, which I didn't realize that either until I, I sat down to watch the film. This is his first film. Okay. This is the guy who went on to make The Graduate. He went on to make Working Girl. Uh, even, gosh, he's been, he's still cage. making films. <laughs> yeah, he made The Birdcage. Yeah, Closer, which I think is a really good oh, film, yeah. he, Mike Nichols, which actually Closer probably has more similarities to this film than a lot of his other films, hmm. style-wise, and some of the scenes that are just very tough to sit through. But what we basically have in this whole storyline is we follow this couple. They have another couple come over to visit them for drinks or to hang out after uh, some sort of community event that took place. Hmm. And this other couple is played by George Siegel and Sandy Dennis. Okay. Um, and what follows is the one of the most uncomfortable nights in this house where you're you ever been in a situation where you go to someone's house and either the couple that invite you over, either they start fighting or there's just a lot of friction between them and it's very awkward and uncomfortable. <laughs> Take that and multiply it by fifty. And that's wow. what this this movie's all about. Hmm. It's George Siegel as Nick and Sandy Dennis as, as Honey, his wife, and they're trying to navigate this whole evening with this couple and they wow. can't leave. Hmm. They get sucked in to the drama going on. Wow. And there's a lot more going on at the end of the film. You kind of realize that there's a certain thing that's happening between this married couple that's really exaggerating their emotions. I can't go into much more detail than that. Uh, it's a fascinating film to watch. Okay. Um, fascinating film, mainly because you've got two actors that are so well known in Hollywood for playing a certain role and having a certain persona playing so opposite of it. It is a stage play on film, but yet there's enough visual things happening to keep you interested. So it's not like you're just watching a static, static stage show. play. Like sometimes you see, especially back in the 50s and 60s, when they adapt a stage play, it looks like you're just watching the stage play <laughs> just shot on camera. Right. This has got a lot of creative flourishes to it for sure. Hmm. Acting-wise, my understanding is all four actors in this film were nominated for Academy Awards. Wow. Which I think is one of the only times that's ever happened. Okay. All four of your, your only four characters in the whole film, all four nominated. Hmm. Um, and rightfully so, too. They're all excellent, especially Sandy Dennis, who plays the wife of um, George Siegel's character. Um, starts out really weak, and you don't think she's uh, really playing a really good part. And then her part just goes crazy later on down a certain path. And it, for, the, for the time, for 1966, I can understand why this was a very – controversial film oh, okay. um, the storylines that are followed the language that's used at times the mind games that are being played hmm. the acting and display it's a really really interesting film so who's afraid to... of virginia wolf i highly recommend checking out just because it's something you want to talk about afterwards okay it's really something to talk about afterwards okay, i have to have to find that because i have i've heard about it but never seen it mm -hmm. so. yeah okay. it's one of those for me as well i i had only heard about it in passing, but I couldn't have told you what it was about. So, in Mike Nichols, it just solidified to me that you know the guy's a really solid director and has been for fifty years now. So, okay, wow, a lot of good stuff we covered in today's episode. A lot of good films to check out: Chef, Life Itself, How to Train Your Dragon Two. 
Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, uh, Enemy. And then we talked about some other films that are coming down the pike that may also be good, like Pacific Rim 2. Right. <laughs> and Mission Impossible 5. Right. So we really packed you in with a lot of good ideas for films and a lot of things to check out. We will be back next time as we review some more films, both uh, new ones and some recommendations as well that you ought to check out. We encourage you, though, in the meantime, go check out the Mesh.TV website. And Chris, what, what can they do there? What should they do? How can they interact with us going forward? Well, you know, you can, if you check out the Mesh website, there's opportunities there to um, send an email to info at the Mesh.TV. Okay. And, you know, kind of mention you're talk, wanting to talk about Foot Candle. Yep. And that'll get to us. Otherwise, you can also follow Alan and I on Letterboxd. Yes. And uh, that lets you know kind of like other movies we might see on the sidelines or older movies that we may, you know, write a little bit of a review of. Mm-hmm. So those are ways you can keep up with us. Um, also, there's footcandle.org, which is the website for our film society. Yeah. A lot of different ways to connect with us, a lot of ways to stay online with us. And uh, we really just appreciate you listening. We do encourage you to go back and check out any episodes you missed. If there are certain films you're curious about or maybe uh, ones that were in theaters months ago or now starting to hit iTunes or online, yeah, go back and listen to the review after you've seen the film and write us a note. Let us know if we were right or wrong uh, in your opinion. Speaking of iTunes, yes. here's the thing. These episodes, you know, obviously if you're listening to it, it they're free. So yes. how, you know, I'm, I we know haven't figured out how to charge I you know for them yet. you're sitting there wondering, how can we pay Alan and Chris back for all of their hard work? Well, here's the thing. You can just rate us on iTunes. Doesn't Star call, rating. Yeah. Does, yeah. Doesn't cost anything, you know. True. Just give us, give us a, you know, we'd prefer for you to give us a nice rating. But, you know, just, just give us just a Just give us an honest iTunes. rating. <laughs> you know, we'll take it. We're big boys. Go. We can handle it. You're right. I, the star rating, and we're not just saying that from a self-serving standpoint. It's really more a matter of, it, it does help us get recognized by other people that are looking for podcasts to check out the more star ratings we have the more possibility other listeners might be able to check it out and listen to and of course the more listeners we have the more we can do the more episodes all that good stuff so it's just a nice self-perpetuating thing we're trying to do here there you go great well again this has been foot candle films my name is alan you've been listening to chris as well and uh we'll look forward to talking to you next time see you in the ticket line Special thanks to Carpal Tuller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.